All right, you're listening to the second ever Sermon Extra. We've been doing this thing here at Ascension, just starting out, just having extra conversations about things that come up in the time on the sermon that we don't necessarily get to. And uh, today I have a good friend and our elder at our church, Rob Witham, who is here to talk to me. And so welcome, Rob. Thanks. Glad to have you. Uh, so Rob, I wanted to grab you today. Again, this is a casual environment. We're just kind of setting up some things to talk about. And, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have a two-way conversation about something mm-hmm. that I'm speaking about one way when we're, when I'm preaching or whoever's preaching on Sunday. And something that came up a couple of weeks ago was this idea of the institutional church versus the grassroots church. And um, so it, it really comes up in Acts 2. There is a, a famous passage that uh, has become one that people have re- returned to over and over again to kind of say this is the picture of of the church and something that mm-hmm. you know has delighted people for a long time. It t- talks about what the church was devoted to. I'll read just a few verses here. Acts two forty two says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul." And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all believed, all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That's kind of the idyllic picture of the early church, right? And that obviously that, that passage has captured a lot of people's hearts and attention. It's beautiful picture of, of the church. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to talk to you about though, Rob, is that the, the romantic view of that, that is that this church was totally grassroots, totally in each other's homes. It spawned like modern movements, like the missional community movement, which would be like church is only ever supposed to be in people's homes mm-hmm. and really institutionalism. You know, think about, Oh, it wouldn't be so beautiful that they didn't have denominations. Then they didn't have like buildings. Pastors weren't paid, you know, things like that. <laughs> like it was so beautiful back then. If we can only get back to that grassroots. Um, have you heard that kind of oh, yeah. perspective before? What, yeah. So your kind of general take on that. Yeah. I've heard that for a long time. I mean, there was a time in the probably late nineties, early two thousands. I feel like, everybody I knew, every Christian I knew was trying to be in like a house church. And that got weird really fast too, for a lot of people. So Mm. it's, yeah, like, I think maybe the general principle, at least that I've seen at work is an idea of like what, uh, what authenticity means in a church environment. And so Mm. I think for, for a lot of Christians, they have, there's this idea that the less centralized things are, the less um, formal, whether it be a liturgy or a structure or pastoral, you know, staff or whatever, the less formal things are, the more authentic they are. That's kind of a cultural mm. thing. I think that's maybe we blame grunge for that or something. I don't know. <laughs> like just there's the idea that like the, the, the negative side would be like the sloppy or something is the more real it is. And I think that's partially what's at play in kind of our romantic view back and looking at the early church that way. And then sort of looking the other way, the more structured something is, the less authentic it is and the mm. more messed up it's going to tend to be. I don't think either one of those is really true. I mean, I think 
I, I think we've all seen, you know, examples of decentralized church that gets really messy and bad. And there's also great, there's tons of examples of big institutional church issues and things go very bad and are very inauthentic too. So I don't, I don't really think one or the other is necessarily better or even called for. It's just, we have, we see examples across the board. Um, I, I mean, I kind of tend to think that we don't have all the information. I mean, we're given a very small snippet about the early church. Right. And we're not hearing about all the, the difficulties either that came along with what was happening. And I don't think a larger institutional church necessarily excludes the things that were good about that description. So like right. sharing of resources, um, loving one another, breaking bread, those are all things that a, a more structured institutional church can should and, and can strive for as well. So the size or the right. the the strength of the institution isn't really that relevant, I don't think. I heard a pastor one time say that everybody wants to go back to the early church, but no one wants to pastor the church at Corinth, <laughs> you know, like because yeah. they had so many issues. Yeah, uh, and sometimes we forget with the with the lack of structure, there can be issues as well. Well, let me go back to what you said at the end there, which is that you can have both, and I think that I'm remembering the very first video that we shot for our church plant. This was even before my time joining you guys. You know, there's there's scenes of of your home, right? In the video, you right. pulling hot potatoes out of the oven, you know, and welcoming people in. And yeah. you you wanted that, right? And we want that kind of like in-home church where, yeah, it's not like um, it's, it's uh, you know, white walls and like gymnasiums and, yeah. you know, yeah. like that still holds a certain beauty to it as well. Yeah, yeah, sure, it sure does. Yeah, and I, to me though, that is in no way at war with the idea of a more formalized institutional church. I think both of those things are part of what the church is called to do and be, and so I don't see those things as being mutually exclusive at all. Like, uh, like at all, I don't see yeah. why why they would have to be that way. Well, it seemed well if you read the passage, and this was the point I made in the sermon. They were meeting in each other's homes, and they were also gathering at the temple, right? right? And which is it's an easy thing to read over, but then you think like, why are they going to the temple? Mm -hmm. And because the temples were Judaism's practice, right? And yeah, presumably when the days of atonement were happening and the sacrifices were still happening in the yeah. temple, I'm not, I'm guessing that the Christians, you know, were not part of that, right? Because Christ was their sacrifice and they, they understood that. Yeah. But praying, reading the old Testament scriptures together, yeah. And being part of the temple, something they learned from Jesus, right? Jesus yes. went to the temple to pray. And also we know it was his practice to go whenever he was uh, at synagogues, yeah. right? Like the apostle Paul does later. Yeah. He stopped in. And so there was this gap before there were churches, institutional churches, there was still this idea of gathering together in formal structures that God had already ordained. Yes. Right. Um, so it's it, it's not as though even in this picture we have the the absence of any kind of sense of I think it's very interesting that they felt the need to stay connected to some kind of institution before their institutions were formed. Yeah. Well, I, it's probably not weird. I mean, can you you can't really pull out thousands of years of religious practice from a people overnight. I mean, they were that that's what they knew, right? Like they knew the, that their worship had an institutional and formalized element, people who were saved out of Judaism and became believers in Christ. And so the assumption should be that they carried that with them as opposed to that 
they're like hippies in the 60s, you know, and didn't have anything that they were starting from. I think sometimes people view, though, we have sort of a hippie view, like, oh, they were just like these Jesus people hippies. And it's like, that's not what they were at all, culturally. Mm -hmm. Right. They came from a very formal, serious religious background, and they would have carried that. We should assume that they would have carried that with whatever they were doing going forward. Yeah, the substance of the early debates were about how much Jewish you could be, right? Yes. In terms of circumcision. Exactly. There was still plenty of Jewishness to the early church. Yeah. So eventually, though, they do form churches. They form their own institutions, yep. right? And that's also beautiful and mm -hmm. good. Um, there is kind of a narrative. I even heard this some in seminary from, I think, professors that probably should know better in mm -hmm. some ways. But there's this idea that as Christianity grew, it weakened, right? Or it only weakened, mm -hmm. we could say. Uh, that, you know, you got Diocletian who's like persecuting Christians. Oh, that's good. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yeah. We all know that that's true. There was a power to it being kind of anti-government mm -hmm. uh, or anti-institutional. Uh, but then there's kind of a narrative that says around the time of Constantine, you know, 300 years in, now Christianity has become the official religion of Rome, which, side note, is amazing. <laughs> in, in a few hundred years, yeah. this religion had grown to that point. And this is where sometimes people with a broad brush say, and now it went downhill. Yeah. Like if, because it was now tied in with the Roman system, um, now it's only institutional and only cared about its own growth and only became political and these types of things. What, what's your yeah. general response when it yeah. like kind of develops that idea? I just think some of that is not, it's just way too broad of a brush and people mm -hmm. are way too quick to, to criticize the idea of Christendom, like not that there are things to criticize, but it's just such an easy thing to target do for people yeah. who don't know anything really about what actually happened. Like, so for me, a part of that discussion is really like eschatological. Like what do you expect to happen mm -hmm. if Jesus rises from the dead and he ascends into heaven and he pours out the Holy spirit on his disciples and he gives them a mission. Are we just supposed to expect that then that's not going to happen? Like, no, he empowered them to make disciples of the nations and to teach Rome to obey everything he commanded. And then it actually happened. So like, that's a great right. thing. Now, it doesn't mean there's not things and perversions and, you know, we're following. And so it's not just this perfect slope upward, but like, yeah, the 300 years between Christ and the Christianization of Rome, I think ought to be seen as a partial vindication of Christ and the mission he gave to his church. Like, that's a good thing. I think like, you can even look at this in like the business world, like, institutions or formalized structures are what happens when something grows. You can't, you can't just have something that stays the same as it was as the beginning and isn't, and doesn't grow and mature and add things to it to manage the growth without the thing dying. I mean, anybody who's run any kind of organization knows that that is what happens. I think, I think where the problem comes in, this is where maybe people have a point about institutional versus grassroots is like what can happen as something matures and grows and becomes more institutional is that it can lose its first purpose. Like it can end up becoming about itself to me. Like that's sort of even like um, what Jesus talked about with the Sabbath. It's the same principle. He's like the Sabbath's made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It, there's gotten to, you know, the institutions as they grow in the church, it has a particular function and it's not for itself, right? So where the church goes wrong when it gets institutional is when it becomes so massive that it just exists for its own preservation and mission, not to do what God called it to do. 
if a church grows and an institution grows and matures and maintains that, that to me is a good thing and it's a sign of health. If it doesn't, it's a sign of unhealth, but it doesn't mean that the institution as a concept is the problem. It means that those who are, who are stewarding it went astray. And that happens a lot. I mean, churches do get, they lose their mission. And sometimes it's because they get so big and they get enamored with the growth and the money and all that stuff. And we don't like that. We don't think that's right. But that doesn't mean the answer to that is to, for everyone to have only a house church, you know? Right. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. It's institutions tend toward corruption. They just do. That's, that's the downside of it. That's the easy part to point out. And, you know, the, the positive side of, of course, is that, well, when Christianity became more Roman, that meant it was more worldwide. <laughs> you know, yeah. like more people were hearing about Christ because of the road systems of Rome, right? Because Rome was such a huge behemoth of a nation, you know, it it spread the gospel, right? Yeah. And that's what Paul; those roads are what Paul used to go up mm-hmm. and down, right? Yeah. And and those roads are, I mean, that's where Christianity spread. Now, what, the only thing I would say to that is, like, I think even non-institutions tend towards corruption too. Maybe different ways, but like if we just use the example of like the more modern house church movement and things, there have been tons of corruption shown in, lead, you know, sort of non leader right. leaders and things that get. We could say people tend towards corruption. People tend towards <laughs> corruption. So right. maybe there's more of a propensity when you have people gathering together on a mission for a big thing that maybe there is. Yeah. I, I don't know though. I, I just kind of think it's baked into being human together in the things we do. We're going to sin. It's a good. It's a good word pastorally just to people to, to, to just think through. So in other words, where, where are you tempted to, you know, either tend towards corruption or just criticize any sense of change and growth, right? Because you know, think about a, a capital campaign for a church. We did one of those, you know, last year. And um, because we have a building that we're, God's called us to steward. I mean, it was a very modest, several hundred thousand dollars you know, raised, mm-hmm. a, a modest building proposal for, for most churches, right? right? There's something fundamentally different about that and building like the third gym, right? That you're, the third gymnasium that's going to reach these kids for Christ. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just about the church yeah. spreading it. And I, I think, you know, to your point of you're always going back to the heart. What is the, what is this supposed to be doing? Yeah. You know? And I would say, um, the church is to proclaim the gospel, you know, word and sacrament, be a worshiping community, be a fellowship for believers, spread out into people's homes, but the institution helps you to do that, right? The having a a gathering place for a building, for instance, helps you do that. Having a pastor that's full time helps those systems do that, right? Uh, Having a denomination keeps you from going wonky in terms of your, your theological, you know, proclivities. Yes. Um, and so those all have a function. They just don't, aren't, aren't the function right of the church. Yeah. I think that's a good way to say, it. yeah, that's, that is the challenge of growing good godly institutions is that the leadership of those would stay just razor focused on what the God given mission is of those things and make sure that whatever they're doing, however much money they're bringing in, they don't become, you know, like the U S government where it's just like going anywhere and everywhere. It has nothing to do with the basics, but that is what tends to happen because people are corrupt and people become self-serving and that's why it's important in in the church context as an institution that elders can really be elders and that you have accountability to hold us to account for the basic scriptural requirements that we're supposed to be doing we have to always have that in place because we will go astray you know well said 
So before we leave this conversation, let's talk for a second about non-church Christian institutions, uh-huh. because the church is an institution we're, st- we're saying here. It can't just be an institution. There's some downsides to that. But there's this whole other realm of Christian institutions, right? Mm-hmm. Christian schools, um, Christian nonprofits, Christian political organizations. Um, what's your general take on Christian institutions? Do you think they're important? Do you think they're dangerous? What's yeah. What's your general? I think they take? can be really important. I would I would add hospitals to that. At least in the oh, past, yeah. they would have been considered, and there still are. Think of their names: Mercy, yeah. yep, you know, Compassion Center. Yep. Yeah, Christians were the, on the forefront of forming those hospitals, and you still see some of that to this day. St. Joe's, you know, the closest one to us is a Catholic hospital. Mm-hmm. So to me, it goes back to their. The Bible doesn't demand anywhere, you know, you shall have institutions. It's a, if we're being faithful, though, in the endeavors God's given us in general, that is a way that humans gather together and succeed and grow is by forming institutions. So it's kind of just like what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by that, I think it can be a very good thing. I think Christian schools are extremely important. Um, I don't think the church as an institution has been given the mandate to, or the elders having to also shepherd schools. However, I think it, if the church is doing a good job shepherding its people in vocation and in child rearing, schools will be formed out of the churches, which is what has happened historically. And that's a very good thing. If we, the church and Christians take seriously a mandate to, to see children educated as Christians, yes, you're going to band together and you're going to create means to do that. And that would include you know, homeschool co-ops, things like we're involved with classical classical conversations is sort of a small institution that's grown up, that's really grown around the idea of classical Christian homeschooling. So those things I'm in huge favor of. Christian nonprofits are all over the map. That's a hard one to answer. You know, there's probably some Christian nonprofits that are that aren't necessary and aren't really doing that great of work. And there's ones that are doing great work. I think you'd have to evaluate each one of those. Mm-hmm you know, scripturally to understand if what they're doing. But you're not de facto against them just because no. they're Christian-based. Right? No, not yeah. at all. Where Christians have been against, you know, there was a little bit of a movement against sort of Christian uh, nonprofits or parachurch organizations. I feel like maybe in the 90s, I would always hear about that. Yeah. But I think what would happen sometimes is Christians would participate in those at the expense of participation in the church, things like Campus Crusade or, mm-hmm. you know, InterVarsity, like some college students make that their church. I think that can be problematic because those institutions are not elder led and they're not um, constituted by the gospel to do gospel work in the sense of being a church. Mm -hmm. So that kind of goes back to the idea of institutions being what they're called to be though. And so staying focused on that. So that can be proud stuff. Christians do when they are doing their callings and vocations is lends towards that, but it's not the exact same thing as a church calling. Yeah. But I think in general, if Christians are faithful to the calling to work as unto the Lord, to build things, to make things, to band together, to build culture. I don't see how you're going to get away without making institutions. It just seems to be the way God made the world. That's right. And I think there's a general feeling in today's culture, broad brush, not just Christian culture, that does not value institutions like people should. There's no respect necessarily for maybe what our previous generation did to build something all yeah. in a similar way that in a similar vein that, that we were talking about in the church, there can be a dismissal of institutions or the work that people put in because we can see the flaws 30, yeah. 40, 50 years in, yes. you know, how things have gotten, you know, uh, messed up a little bit, but 
but truly, you know, Christians have provided healthcare for millions of people, you know, yeah. hundreds of millions of people. Yeah. Um, Christians have taught people, not just the Bible, but yeah. how to reason, you know, um, the, 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 the foundations of Western learning, right. Have Christian origins. Um, and so it's a, it's a call to us to not always hate institutions and just start them, you know, um, I think that there's probably going to be more of a return towards starting institutions because yeah. we have just neglected that piece, as you mentioned, for, for so long for yeah. in the nineties and two thousands, there was kind of a general push. We don't need these things as much. And, you know, I don't think yeah. it's the reason that society is off necessarily, but it's part of that kind of corruption that we don't have those, yeah. those backbone institutions as strong yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I think maybe Christians are realizing the, the non, the, the cultural institutions we have, the ones that are not Christian by calling or nature don't serve us in general as well as maybe they did 50 years ago where there was more of a Christian kind of consensus behind say Christian, you know, say some of the big universities, you know, more like Haley, Harvard, Yale, like those started as explicitly Christian institutions of learning. You know, it's all over their campuses written in stone everywhere. Christians are realizing, I think wisely that those places in reality are not, they aren't serving that mission anymore. And so what are we going to do? Well, we have to start our own, like to be able to be faithful to God's calling. We can't just assume that what the culture gives us for institutions is going to serve our mission anymore. It really largely doesn't. So it doesn't mean there are, we can't participate in those other institutions, but like if we're mission oriented, we're going to want to make those things. Um, yeah. And I, I just think it goes back so much to the, to people think that things are formal are inauthentic. I have just come mm -hmm. across that so much with people. I'm seeing that maybe breaking a little bit, but I just think it was a very shallow way to look at things. And people are maybe starting to realize that finally, like just because something is formal doesn't mean it's not real. It might actually be way more real than the things that are right. half shot. And maybe we can end with an invitation. If you come to one of our services, you're listening to this and you're more of a church, we have a very formal worship service, right? Uh, there are aspects to it that are uh, conversational for sure, but it's it's a formal liturgy that we walk through. And I think that if you stick around, you'll find a lot of people that are authentically living out their faith. And so that maybe that will be a counterexample for, for someone. Yeah. Well, thanks for having this conversation, Rob. This yeah. is cool. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. To access more resources for your walk with Christ, please visit us at ascensionphx.org.